0: Let the children come to me, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Let the children come to me, let the children come to me. Hello, and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds, by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I am your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love. And as always, welcome back to Horror Month as we uh, delve through some horror movies that just need a little more love or attention in the world. And uh, this one is going to be a little bit different, and I'll just say this flat out at the start, that... uh, Often on staff picks, this is a common criticism among my five listeners, that when I pick horror movies, I tend to pick kind of mild ones. Like I've heard people say, you should pick something really scary. Like you just do like psychological ones, intense ones. Why don't you do something that's actually scary and would actually terrify people? So I'm like, you know what? We'll do that this year. So, the movie I have chosen for this episode, uh, <laughs> I apologize in advance for people who are sensitive and I'm going to ruin your life when you li- when you watch this movie for the first time, but is the 2012 horror movie called Sinister, which I will flat out tell you not only has maybe the greatest jump scare of all time in any movie, but was recently named the scariest movie of all time. It's been scientifically proven that this is the scariest movie of all time, so... I'm letting you know to hold on to your butts for this one. This is an intense movie. And my guest for this episode, because it's a special episode, of course, I have to have a special guest. And she's been on a couple times before. That's right. It's my own daughter, the lovely and talented 22-year-old Vanessa Lanza. Welcome back to Staff Picks, Vanessa.
1: Hello. I would just like to also speak to the fact that this is a very intense movie. I am very desensitized because I have seen a lot of horror movies. And this movie got to me the first time I saw it. I was thinking about it for a long time after.
0: Excellent. So thank you for the warning. So (laughs) Vanessa and I have already agreed going into this episode. We're going to try to creep you guys the hell out with this one. So get ready for this one.
1: Yeah, but definitely not as much as the actual movie would creep you out.
0: (laughs) So why don't you tell people a little about uh, yourself, remind people who you are, what you do. (laughs) I would say how we know each other, but I guess that's pretty obvious.
1: (laughs) Yes, well, I've known Mario for twenty-two years.
0: <laughs> oh, we're on a first-name basis now. That's good. Okay. <laughs> and what else do you do? What else about what, what? What's your life going like these days?
1: So, in spring of, I think last time I was on the podcast, I was still a college student. I graduated in May of twenty twenty-one. Uh, my degree was in geology, and I've been working as a geologist in the GIS field, uh, making maps for the past year. And I'm actually about to move, about to get married and then move to a new state for grad school where I'm going to be studying paleontology.
0: That's right. So you're a nerd, basically.
1: Pretty much. Yeah,
0: we all are. We're all nerds in this house. We all fess up to it. So yeah, Vanessa's been my little horror movie buddy ever since she was, (laughs) I'll say perhaps too young. Uh, We can can it was forced upon me. (laughs) Yes, it was okay. Uh, Let me in my defense before I allow Vanessa her grievances. So I love horror movies. This is my bread and butter. And when I have children, obviously, I want to introduce them to things that I love. And the quickest way to desensitize a kid and get them to like horror movies is show them horror movies. So what was the first horror movie I showed you? Do you remember?
1: I'm pretty sure it was Jaws unless there was one before that that was just like so traumatizing that my brain blocked it out, but that's the first one I remember.
0: Yes, yeah, so I showed Jaws jo- I showed Vanessa Jaws at How old were you approximately? I think 5. 5. And now would you say that's the appropriate age to introduce a child to Jaws? No, definitely not. <laughs> Yet somehow it ended up working because you ended up loving horror movies. You grew up to love horror movies. So would you say my experiment was entirely uh, correct and appropriate?
1: Um, I'm not sure about that because I didn't start loving horror movies until like five years ago. Wait a minute.
0: So you didn't when you were younger? I, I thought you did.
1: Not really. I mean, I don't, well, I don't even remember watching like that many besides just the ones that traumatized me, like
0: Jaws. Oh, well, okay. Well, welcome to the first episode of Therapy on Staff Picks, because I was unaware of this.
1: I mean, I I didn't really have strong opinions on horror movies until a few years ago, and then I don't know why, I just all of a sudden started loving
0: them. Okay, well, we'll yada yada over the little details, but the the, the short version of the story is you love horror movies. You are now my... I wouldn't say disciple because you're your own person, but you grew up basically, as I did at your age, I was huge into horror movies. I was the guy everyone asked for recommendations. Is that you, basically you among your peer group?
1: Well, no one else likes horror movies, so no one asks me for recommendations because no one cares.
0: <laughs> you really need better friends, Vanessa.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, horror movies
0: are pretty much the only type of movie that I watch these days. <laughs> okay, now, in my defense, I will have to point out to the audience... Uh, We also introduced you to roller coasters very young, and you hated them at first, and now you love roller coasters. So at some point, we kind of had to know what we were doing a little bit, right? I mean, I guess. (laughs) Okay, yeah, just for people who are enjoying our dynamic, yeah, Vanessa has a longstanding grievance that I introduced Jaws to her at too young of an age, and all right, maybe I did, I don't know. But, you know, I, I saw it when I was like six or seven. I figured you could handle it.
1: Well, it didn't traumatize you when
0: you were six or seven? Yeah, but that's like a that's like a necessary stage in life. That's like a, a milestone, the Jaws viewing.
1: Well, okay. I think I would be just fine if I didn't see Jaws at five.
0: <laughs> okay. And my wife, of course, would like to point out to the audience, she had nothing to do with this. And she frequently told me, don't show the kids scary movies too young. <laughs> so this is all on me.
1: I don't know where she was at this point. I guess she just kind of disappeared for a while, <laughs> where you were showing us all the horror movies.
0: Yeah, she, she'd run off to Mexico for a couple months. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, uh, yeah, Vanessa is my little horror movie buddy. We talk about movies all the time. I'm constantly recommending older ones to her with about a 50% success ratio. She is constantly recommending newer ones to me with about a 50% success ratio. Would you say that is about accurate? Um. Yeah, probably. Okay, and... I already know the answer to this. It's, it's weird interviewing your own kid. Who is your favorite horror movie director?
1: Okay, so I feel kind of... I feel like it's kind of premature to say that he's my favorite director because he has only come out with two feature films so far, but Ari Aster.
0: Ari Aster. Now, remind people who may not know that name what he's done.
1: He's done Hereditary and
0: Midsummer. Hereditary and Midsummer, which, of course... Most of the world out there thinks hereditary is the better of the two, but I know your answer is entirely different.
1: Yes, Midsummer is obviously way better of the two.
0: <laughs> yeah, Vanessa's uh, she's been begging to come on staff picks and fight with all the hereditary fans because uh, <laughs> that this is a we, again we talk about movies all the time, so I know every answer to her to the questions I'm gonna ask her. But so we had a chance. I I said come on the staff picks for horror month, and we'll talk about any scary movie you want. And I thought you were going to pick Midsummer, but you chose Sinister. Why?
1: Yeah, because I felt like Midsummer because it did come out in 2019. I felt like that was still a little too recent. And also, it is pretty similar to The Wicker Man, which was another movie I've already done on staff picks.
0: That is correct. Yeah. Vanessa and I had the uh, envious task of doing The Wicker Man. And if you've ever wanted to hear a fun, awkward episode, listen to my daughter and I talk about a movie with orgies. Yeah.
1: And also, if I had chosen Midsummer, it would have been, you know, more of that. So.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I, if people have never seen Midsummer, Midsummer has an even more awkward, long extended sex scene that uh, we were not interested in discussing on staff pick. So that is how we arrived at Sinister. Although Sinister, of course, is no slouch. Now, kind of give me your history with this movie. How do you know about it? Why do you like it so much?
1: So I, when I was at college, I had one roommate who would always watch horror movies with me. She was like my horror movie buddy, and this was just one that one night we were looking for a movie to watch, and this just came up recommended on some streaming service, and I was just like, oh, that movie looks interesting. I'd seen it kind of talked about before, especially the infamous jump scare that we're going to talk about later. And so we were both just kind of interested in it, and we decided to watch it, and it like, got to both of us. We were both thinking about it later, and we are both desensitized, like, horror movie fans. And I just, I knew from, like, basically the first time I watched it that this is a really good movie.
0: Yeah, and you recommended it to your mom and me. It's going to be weird talking about my wife in third person here, but, yeah, your mother. So, Vanessa saw Sinister. It really affected her, and you recommended it to us. So, yeah, so we watched it, and we liked it, but I will flat-out admit that I'm a little nervous with modern horror movies because they'd have a lot of jump scares. So I've literally had to go to a website called Where's the jumpcom and Google it before I watch this movie because the way you talked about it and how scary it was, because you don't get affected by movies much, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I do. I also don't really love jump scares because jump scares do affect me. Um, but I had heard a lot about the jump scares in this movie ahead of time. So I felt like I was kind of, prepared and yeah that like the jump scares weren't the thing about this movie that affected me
0: okay yeah we'll, we'll get into that because i want to know what really affected you so okay i got to give a little disclaimer before we go into this movie this movie is far more jump scare heavy than most of the stuff i do on staff picks like i said people challenge me do something that's actually scary okay this one will do it but i have to say and you would probably back me up vanessa This movie is not as jump scary as its reputation, right? There's only like two or three really big ones.
1: Yeah, I think so. And of the jump scares that there are, there are some that are kind of stupid, but then there are also some very creative ones, I think.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. So I've mentioned it before. I don't like jump scares. I have a very sensitive nervous system. I'm really affected by stimuli. I personally think jump scares are abusive in movies. I don't like them. Like... I don't think it's particularly clever to be able to uh, simulate a flight, fight or flight response in people. And are you kind of the same way? Like jump scares, do they really affect you?
1: Yeah, they sometimes they do. For the most part, I just kind of get annoyed by them when a movie relies on them too heavily. But I do like like a really good like creative jump scare.
0: Okay, yeah, I think that's a fair answer. And. And Vanessa and I were watching this movie earlier uh, this week, and we were sitting there and we kind of dissecting the jump scares, seeing how they did them, like which ones were good, which ones were not good. I will say this movie probably has maybe the greatest jump scare in movie history, and it also maybe has my least favorite jump scare in movie history. And I'm (laughs) sure you can can tell which two I'm talking about.
1: Yeah. I would say the one that you're talking about for your least favorite is probably also my least favorite.
0: Yeah, okay, I'll just flat-out spoil for people. This movie has the gall to, as it's fading out to closing credits, just have the villain pop his head into frame right in front of you as it goes to closing credits. It's completely <laughs> gratuitous. I absolutely hate that jump scare. There's no reason for it to be there. But we will dissect that when we get there. And, and that's you hate that one, too? Yeah, I think that's pretty much the stupidest jump scare I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> but the good jump scare, the one that's effective... Um, I don't want to give too much away until we get into it, other than it involves a lawnmower. And uh, if you've never seen this movie, you may be already squeamishly crossing your legs and puckering up, like <laughs> thinking there's a jump scare that involves a lawnmower. I will tell you, and I think you can back, back me up, Vanessa. This one delivers. This one is absolutely not overrated. This may be the scariest moment in movie history.
1: Yeah, and a big part of this Jump scare, and also I think just the movie's creepiness in general is the sound.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll definitely get into that. This this movie does one of the best uses of sound I think I have ever seen in a horror movie. And it's funny, Vanessa, that I told people I was doing Sinister, and I kind of joked, I'm like, yeah, my daughter is gonna jump scare me to death in this movie. She wants to give me a heart attack. It's some kind of insurance scam. <laughs> but, <laughs> so people, a lot of people are accusing me or are assuming going into this episode that I don't like Sinister. But that's actually not the case at all. You can, you can back it up. When we watched the other day, like, we both kind of enjoyed it. We were having a good time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I do think it's not really as jump scare heavy as you would kind of think going into it. There's, I guess, quite a few minor ones, but as far as major ones, there's only, like, three, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the again for people, there's a wonderful uh, resource out there called Where's the Jump It gives away every jump scare in a movie. It shows you the timestamp. It gives away what is, what's what's going to happen, how uh, how uh, intense it's going to be. A wonderful resource. I would absolutely in, uh, in, entice people to check that out before they watch a movie like this. But according to that movie, uh, that website. There's movies that are way more jump jump heavy than this, like uh, I think A Quiet Place is way more jump scare heavy. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So this one is not quite as intense as its reputation, but oh boy, yeah, it's going to get under your skin. Yeah. Okay. So I usually leave this up to my guest. I'll give you the honor here. Before we get into Sinister, kind of describe the plot of this movie in like a minute or less. What's, what's the short version so keep, people can decide if they want to go through this episode or not?
1: So the main character is sort of an author who he already had like the peak of his fame. He writes about true crime and he misses the the fame that he got from this past book that he wrote and all the attention. So he basically wants to recreate that and write another true crime book that gets really famous. So he moves his family without his family's knowledge into the house of a past um, murder scene where a whole family was murdered except for one kid who is uh, missing
0: yes and as they say in comedy movies hilarity ensues (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah so this movie there's a lot of death there's a lot of violence that's about snuff films it's really creepy it will absolutely get under your skin although it's surprisingly not that bloody have you noticed that i guess i didn't really think about that yeah it's not really that bloody it's really not for as an intense a movie as it is i read the uh filmmakers were trying to get a pg-13 because (laughs) they thought if they cut out the blood they could get away with a pg-13 and the ratings board is like no it's about no have you seen your movie no it's
1: (laughs) yeah all like all the deaths they're creepy but they're not really gory
0: i wouldn't say yeah i've done far more gory movies on staff picks okay We got to talk about one elephant in the room before we get into the movie here. The title. (laughs) Now, I have got on record, and Vanessa knows where I'm going with this, saying this may be the stupidest title for a movie ever. You always get it mixed up with Insidious. Yeah, Insidious. Because the movie's literally named Sinister. And I always joke... Why don't they just call it bad? Like it's and I like for two years, I forget what this movie is. I'll ask Vanessa, what's that snuff film movie? And she's like sinister. And I'm like, oh, I keep thinking it's like evil or something. So I cannot believe they let this movie out with such a ridiculous generic title.
1: Yeah. But then at the same time, I mean, I guess I'm just bad at this, but I couldn't, I don't even know what title I would give it.
0: What about like good night family or, uh the snuff film or the, the super eight deaths or something. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. To me, they all just sound kind of dumb. <laughs> they do. Yeah. It's just, it's a hard movie to define. Okay. So again, this movie's about snuff films and I have to point out, as Vanessa mentioned earlier, she's getting married next week. So we're going to give a presumptive uh, congratulations to her. <laughs> By the time this episode comes out, she will have been married and been on her honeymoon. So <laughs> it's going to be kind of a weird timeline, but I should point out to my audience that my daughter's last event to do with her family before she gets married and moves away is to talk about snuff films with her father on a podcast. (laughs) It's fitting. Yes, that is our relationship. That's how it works around here. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to walk through the plot of this movie. We're going to do our best to creep you the hell out because this is really a hardcore scary movie. But I do have to talk about the experiment I mentioned earlier that – this movie was recently named the scariest movie of all time. Now, did you hear about that?
1: Yeah, I did. And I I don't really understand how they could even begin to do like a scientific experiment on that.
0: <laughs> what are you, some kind of a science major or something? <laughs> yeah, So, uh, so what was the methodology? Did you read about how they did it?
1: Yeah, they measured the, I forget how many other movies they had everyone watch, but they measured everyone's heart rate while they were watching it. And I guess Sinister produced the highest average heart rate in the people that were watching it.
0: Yeah, that's what I read as well, that they did an experiment within the last two years, and they took like the top 50 highest rated horror movies on IMDb, and they hooked up everyone in the audience to a heart monitor to see whose heart increased the most. And the average score of Sinister was... I don't even think it was close if I read. I think it was by far the scariest movie. So they determined by that rate that not only is it it the scariest movie of all time, it's also the movie most likely to kill you. Yeah, probably. So there you go. So like I said, Vanessa, choosing it for staff picks, I thought was some insurance scam where she's going to off me and inherit my legacy. So good choice. (laughs) Okay, so are you ready to walk through the plot of the scariest movie of all time? Yes. Yes. Okay. I'm ready. All right. So this movie has one of the, I have to say one of the greatest openings of any horror movie ever, the tree scene. And I will, (laughs) I will leave it to you. Describe our opening scene in this movie.
1: Yeah. The very first shot of the movie is grainy footage of a family, uh, two adults and two kids, I believe being hung from a tree. Basically, one of the i guess the ropes are sort of hooked up so that when one branch on the other side of the tree falls it lifts everybody up so the branch kind of slowly falls down and then everyone gets lifted up and their feet are kicking and it like looks like they're struggling it's very creepy yeah and i was actually reading when they filmed that scene they
0: almost hung the the uh, stuntman in real life did you read that
1: yeah, I've heard that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a really creepy, eerie scene. It's this grainy old uh, 8mm film, um, or Super 8, I think. I always get those two mixed up. Super 8 film of these four four family members hanging, and it's very slow motion. You see their feet kicking. It's a nice way to open a movie. This movie's going to be about death. Get ready for it.
1: Yeah, it definitely hooks you in really, really quickly right away. <laughs> Or I guess if you decide you don't want to watch that, it makes you turn it off right away.
0: Yeah, I should point out I have a coworker. I was talking to her today. I said uh, I'm going to do a, a, a podcast that on horror movies, and my coworker's like, "Oh, what movie?" And I said, "Oh, it's called Sinister. It's the scariest movie of all time, and it's all about families being ritualistically ritualistically murdered and uh, in snuff films." And she's like, "Yeah, nope, no, 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 I'm not watching that." <laughs> so she would not have made it past the first scene of the family being hung. Yeah. Much to her loss. (laughs) Okay, so we start with the family being hung. This is the Stevenson family. The uh, entire plot will revolve around them. Four people who are slowly hung from a tree in the backyard. And we find out later one of their uh, children is missing, Stephanie. And that's kind of the crux of this movie, that this family was killed, and no one knows how, or no one knows by who. They figured out it was hanging, since they were hanging from a tree. But uh, yeah, Stephanie's missing, and now we get into the true crime writer who's going to write about this crime. His name is uh, Ellison Oswalt, and he's played by Ethan Hawke. So uh, explain Ethan Hawke and his family and their whole role in this now.
1: Yeah, so he basically, he had big success with a true crime book that he wrote in the past, and he wants to get that back. So he in order to i guess just for research purposes (laughs) he moves into the house (laughs) where the family the last uh, most recent family was murdered but the whole town basically doesn't like him especially the cops because in his past true crime book he sort of accused the cops of not really doing enough to solve the murder
0: is this the point in the podcast where i let you go on your rant about the true crime community online
1: Um, I mean, I guess it can be.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Vanessa and I have talked about this, all these true crime podcasts, all these true crime websites, how they can be rather annoying because it's people trying to insert themselves into crimes and profit off crimes and stuff. And would you like to share anything on this subject?
1: Sure. So in the past few years, I don't know if any of your audience would also be into these kinds of like YouTube videos or podcasts. There's been a big trend Obviously, true crime in general is very popular and trendy right now. And there's been a trend where people will share true crime stories or discuss cases and then at the same time do things like put on their makeup or like get ready for the day or something like that. And recently, there's been a lot of discussion in true crime communities about whether or not this is ethical. And just what bothers me about the responses that people give is they always, I feel like everyone tries to kind of get on their high horse about how empathetic they are and about how they will only support creators who give money to the victim's families. And and I'm only interested in true crime because I want justice for the victims and I'm like so empathetic. <laughs> I just feel like a lot of people are sort of pretending that they're into true crime, not at all because of the shock factor or the gore or anything, but just because they're so empathetic.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Vanessa and I have talked about this extensively over the past couple of weeks about the, uh, the fascination with true crime these days and the internet and these podcasts and stuff. And yeah, it's like most people get into true crime because they want to read the gory details as much as they don't want to admit it. But you say that people don't like, like people your age don't like to admit that.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of people, I I do agree that there are some ethical issues with the whole, you know, people profiting off of true crime stories and stuff, but I just feel like a lot of people like to pretend that they're just in it for like the justice and they want to find the answers. And it's, of course, it's not at all because of the details of the murders or anything.
0: So I, I'm an old chunk of coal. I don't understand this stuff. Where, where would you find these, uh, it's, it's young women talking about true crime while applying their makeup. Where would you find this, this Instagram?
1: YouTube, mostly. YouTube.
0: Okay. YouTube is the one to blame for this. Yeah. So I'm sure I get my audience to run out and go check out all these YouTube videos of uh, people applying their makeup and talking about grisly murders.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a big thing right now.
0: (laughs) Good. See, it's good when you're my age and you have a kid that's your age. You can keep me up to date on all the latest trends. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And the reason I bring that up, because that's the kind of the gist of this movie. This true crime writer who inserts himself into cases, tries to make cops look bad, makes uh you know, writes about the grisly details of true crime that's happened in the past, and he makes money off it. And so it's really all about is he doing this for the justice or is he doing this for his own glory? And that'll come up a couple times in the movie, right? Yeah,
1: and it's also about how he's Letting that obsession get in the way of like his own personal life and his relationships and his family,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, I will say, uh my wife Diana, we watched this movie when Vanessa recommended it, we watched it, we both liked it, but my wife has a huge bone to pick with this movie the uh the wife in the movie <laughs> who who may be the stupidest character in movie history. Would you say that's a fair argument no i don't I don't think so,
1: I mean. Every horror movie has a stupid character, and I don't think she's the stupidest.
0: Okay, well, I will I will lay out the evidence for my listeners, and they can decide. My wife's argument is, so, this guy, uh, Ellison Oswalt, moves his family into a house where a murder happened, and apparently his wife doesn't know this. So, she says, it's at one point in the movie, are we moving into the neighborhood with a true cri- where a true crime happened again? Well, she asks... The
1: wording is very important. She asks, did we just move two doors down from a murder scene again? And technically he doesn't lie. He says no.
0: Yes, but you're missing the point. Technically you're correct. He doesn't lie, but they've done this before. This is apparently a pattern where he moves to a true crime neighborhood and doesn't tell her. And it's now happened twice. And she somehow has never Googled this house that they're moving into. (laughs) So anyway, that's my wife's beef. Vanessa maybe has a little more, uh, defense of the wife but my wife's like it almost takes me out of this movie knowing that they've done this more than once and the wife still doesn't suspect it's going to happen
1: yeah well i mean i don't know i just think like for any horror movie you have to suspend disbelief (laughs) a little bit like you just have to you can't take it too literally
0: (laughs) okay for necessity of the plot they've moved into the stevenson murder house that we just saw earlier in the movie with the family was hung in the backyard The wife does not know about it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Ellison apparently does this often, and they have two kids who will be very uh, important to the plot. They have a 12-year-old boy named Trevor and a seven-year-old daughter named Ashley. I kind of, Ashley's the painter, right? She, when they move into the house, she like paints on the walls in her room or something.
1: Yeah, she paints on the walls and they have a rule for her that she's only allowed to paint on the walls in her room. She can't go anywhere else in the house. And well, I mean, she can't, but she can't paint anywhere else in the house.
0: Okay. And as you can guess, the painting will become important to the plot later. Mm -hmm. And the son, Trevor, is, has nightmares and night terrors and likes to sleepwalk around the house, which also will become important to the plot later. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So they move into the house. They're all getting set up. The wife's like, oh, I sure hope this isn't a murder house. And Ellison knows it is. And he's there to research who killed the Stevenson family. Where the missing daughter is, Stephanie, and like you said, this is where we have the scene at the start with the cop, right? The cop yells at him.
1: Yeah, because the cops just, in general, they already don't like him because of the reputation that he sort of gave them in his in his past book.
0: That's right, yeah, and, and the, the lead cop also says, you know, Mr. Ellis and I, I don't like your writing, I don't like your stories, and I find the fact that you moved into a murder house in extremely bad taste. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. You know, point sheriff. He's correct.
1: Yeah, you know, there's some like sort of inadvertently funny parts of this movie. That part's kind of funny.
0: <laughs> okay, so, uh, so yeah, he he has not told his wife why have they moved here. He just said there he got it cheap on the market. Uh, and in his defense, no, <laughs> like you said, there's some funny parts. No one technically died in the house. They died in the backyard, so he's free and clear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so they move in the house and he's like getting everything set up. And I think this is like, like like you said, he had a big book like 10 years ago, but it's been a while and he wants one more big book to kind of be able to retire on or something.
1: Yeah, he wants to like be the one that solves this case and then gets writes his book and gets famous and gets all the attention again.
0: And I think there's a rule that his wife has set never leave your office unlocked. Never let the kids walk in and see your research because he has grisly pictures all around. So it's basically like the the rule we have at our house when you were a kid. (laughs) Oh, really? I wasn't aware of that rule. Oh, yeah. I used to have a true crime room. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, that seems like something I would like. Why'd you keep it hidden? Wait, because Jaws traumatized you. There's no, as you're out riding ponies, there's no way you can handle my murder room. (laughs) No, but where did it go?
1: Why isn't it still there now? I would want to see it now. Oh, yeah, we turned it into your brother's room. Oh, okay.
0: (laughs) So anyway, yeah, so this is the the scene. They come to the house, and he goes out in the backyard. He checks out the tree, the hanging tree, which I should point out still has the broken branch that was used to hang them. Did you notice? Yeah, they didn't bother to change anything about it. No wonder this house sold cheap. The hanging branch is still there. I feel like if there's like – like
1: this is like the most warranted scenario for like chopping down a tree.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, so now here the movie is gonna amp up, and you're gonna get the main crux of the movie. Where on the first night he's, uh, or the first day he's moving stuff into the house, moving their their belongings, and he goes up in the attic. And the first thing he sees is what a scorpion up there, if I recall. I think so, yeah. But besides the scorpion, there's something else, and I will leave this to you. What else does he find up in the attic? He finds a box
1: of Super 8 films and a player
0: (laughs) a projector old people would call projector (laughs) yeah (laughs) we're getting the generation gap here they've no one your age has ever seen one of these things yeah 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 a whole list of uh super eight films and a projector and they're all hand labeled now why don't you uh, mention some of the label the the names of the movies the labels
1: yeah so the labels they all have a name and then a year i can't remember all of them but one of them i know is family barbecue uh, one of them is Pool Party. One of them is
0: Lawn Work. They just sound like very
1: innocent-sounding names.
0: Yeah, very innocent, very happy. And I, I'm warning you, these will be some of the creepiest things you will ever see in movies. And they such innocent little titles. Uh, yeah, family hanging out. Yeah, okay. So, so he goes upstairs. He sees this box of films, which is apparently has been left around, and he doesn't know why it's there. And he doesn't really think about it too much at first, other than... He's seen the crime scene photos of this house, and he knows that box was not there, right? The cops never saw that before?
1: Yeah, he sort of has a print of one of the pictures, and he kind of holds it up to what he's seeing in the attic,
0: where everything matches up, and he sees that the box wasn't there before. Yeah, so someone has placed this box with all these films in the attic for either him to find or someone to find, and... It's kind of like the uh, the old uh, story of Bluebeard here. You probably don't want to watch these movies, but you know he's going to.
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I can't say that I blame him. I would probably watch them, too. <laughs>
0: yeah. I want to know what lo- what a gar- uh, lawn party is. What was it called? The lawnmower one. Uh, lawn work. Yeah, lawn work. I want to see what lawn work is. It sounds yeah. so benign. Yeah. Okay, so Ellison gets there, and then, again, this is Ethan Hawke, and he starts working on his book, and... You know, he's got all these crime scenes and drawings and maps in his office and he's trying to figure out what happened to Stephanie, who hung this family. And then, you know, he starts to get a little curious about those films.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So he basically, I think the first one that he watches is The Pool Party? No, Family Hanging Out. Oh, okay. Family <laughs> Hanging Out. So yeah, so he gets, and this is the film that took place in this current house. So he gets kind of the whole story of that.
0: Okay, yeah, so a big chunk of this movie, if you've never seen it, is Ethan Hawke sitting in a darkened room running a Super 8 projector as it's projecting the movie up on a a wall in his office, and it's just him in the dark, and there's a lot you can do with a guy sitting in the dark. I'm warning you right now, (laughs) it's going to get real creepy with these movies, so yeah, explain, I guess you kind of explained it, but family hanging out is basically the Stevenson murder all over again, right?
1: Yeah, and so the tape starts with just seemingly innocent footage of the family just together, but taken by someone who was clearly hiding and, like, stalking them. And then it cuts to basically the same scene that the movie opened with of them, them getting hung.
0: Yeah, and that's the big thing with this movies. All these Super 8 movies have two parts. The first part is someone filming a family from outside, from afar, just watching them and doing normal stuff. And then the film will, will cut and splice. And the second part is always the family getting murdered. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really sneaky how they're going to set you up for a jump scare this way, because none of these murders have a jump scare. They're actually not as scary or graphic as you think they would be until the last one. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, so this whole murder, the Stevenson family being hung is now been filmed by someone and, uh, Ellison's watching and he's like, Oh my God, like, the murderer filmed this murder. Like, and why is this tape sitting here? Who filmed this, 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 who filmed this movie and who killed them? So now he's really intrigued that like, is there actually a clue here to this murder that someone left for me?
1: Yeah. And he's also this, the film also basically didn't give him any more clues about where the missing kid went. But at this point it is also still presumed that the killer probably took the one kid that was missing. So he's also trying to figure that out too.
0: Yeah. And just to clarify for people who may not have seen this movie recently, there will end up being, I think, five murders or six murders in this movie. Right now, there's only one. He's just here to solve the Stevenson murder. Yeah. Okay. So he watches this movie, and he's like, huh, this is intriguing. Because, again, this is the case he's here to write about, and he watches the snuff film of the Stevensons being hung. And uh, I think at this point, uh, he just goes in and tucks in his daughter, and she's, like, painting stuff on the wall. She's allowed to paint on her room. And again, as you if anybody who's seen horror movies know, that those paintings are going to start getting creepy. The daughter's going to start getting in on this. Oh, yeah. Anytime there's a kid in a horror movie, they're always going to be creepy. Yeah, this is why you're not allowed to paint on the walls anymore. <laughs> <laughs> also, you're 22, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so he's watched this first movie, Family Hanging Out, and now he watches the second one. So he th- he saw there were like the, there's six film canisters upstairs he's watched the hanging one now he's watching one that some would argue is actually the creepiest one in the movie. This is called Barbecue 79.
1: Yes. And this is where one of the first points where I want to talk about the sound in this movie. Mm-hmm. So this film the first part of it just opens with again a family at like a park I think or maybe near a lake and they're just having a barbecue. Again, clearly taken by someone who was sort of hiding and like stalking them. And then it cuts to the family all tied up inside a car inside, presumably their garage. And then the whole car is set on fire. And the I don't even want to call it a song, (laughs) like the chant that is played in the background of the second part of that film is so creepy. It
0: got under my skin so much. Yeah, it's funny. I was uh, reading a Reddit thread the other day on the scariest movie scenes of all time, and and several people mentioned the lawnmower, which is coming up later, but several people mentioned exactly what you pointed out, the chanting in this scene.
1: Yeah, it's, I don't even know how to describe it. It sounds, like, ritualistic, like a cult chanting or something. It's, yeah, I don't even want to call it a song. It's just so creepy. <laughs>
0: Yeah, this is an absolutely terrifying video. And again, it's shot on Super 8. And in real life, they really did shoot this on Super 8. So it looks all grainy and old. And in the movie, it's supposed to have been a home movie from 1979. But yeah, this poor family, what, they get put in their car, they get bound and gagged, and then the car gets set on fire and they all burn alive in their car. Yeah. (laughs) And that music. Yeah, the sound. I think I was reading somewhere the research for this movie. They researched the most unnerving sounds and songs that get under the human skin and they put them in the movie specifically just i think for that it's called frisson 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 or something where it makes your skin crawl just from hearing certain sounds
1: yeah yeah and this is the scene it in my opinion this out of all the snuff films in this movie this one is the most disturbing purely because of that sound
0: yeah And once again, we get it in first person. Whoever killed this family has filmed the whole thing, has stalked them, has put it in a film canister, has left it here for Ellison to find. And what's interesting about this scene is Ellison is going to have a little epiphany here where he's like, oh, my God, I'm not just researching the Stevenson murder. There's a second murder here. So all of a sudden, his eyes kind of light up with dollar signs. He gets greedy because because this has been a thing throughout the first part of the movie. You know, why are you here? Why do you write about this? And he's like, well, I like I support the victims. And like you and I said, that's bullshit. He's not defending victims. He's here for the story.
1: Yeah. And he starts to notice that there's a pattern to all these murders.
0: (laughs) And I think this is where he he uh, picks up the phone and starts calling the police. He wants to report this other murder, but he chooses not to because he knows he can make more money by writing about it first.
1: Yeah. And he also clearly from what we can gather from how the police treat him and his last book, he clearly doesn't really trust police, too.
0: Yeah. Okay, so here we go. He is now on the path to uh, (laughs) darkness, as we would say. But you said he is noticing a pattern in these films. He's only watched two so far. What is the pattern he's noticing?
1: The pattern is that the family, all the members of the family were murdered except for one child. And that child is missing.
0: Mm -hmm. There you go. This is very important to the story. These snuff films, these families are being killed by someone unknown. A child is always missing afterwards. And does he research this crime first or does he start watching more tapes or more movies? I forget.
1: I, I think, didn't the pool party one come pretty soon after this?
0: Yeah. Okay. He does the pool party. Okay. So let me set this up. So, there's a scene here where he's going to start the third movie, which is called pool party 66. This one is really creepy too. But before he goes to watch the movie, there's like a bang. He's watching these at night in that house all by himself. And there's one of the earlier jump scares in this movie comes here with the sun. Oh yeah. Yeah. So explain that one. It's the box scene.
1: Yeah. So he, okay, wait, I kind of forget how it goes. He, he, He just, he discovers his son like screaming,
0: right? Yeah. He, as he's watching these snuff films in the dark, he keeps hearing bangs in the house and creepy noises. He goes out and check the first time it's his daughter who has to go to the bathroom. It's just like a fake jump scare. The second time he goes out, it's later that night. He hears something in a box and he goes out and it's his son just bent at a weird angle and screaming. It's a, it's a, it's kind of a nasty jump scare if you're not ready for it when the son screams.
1: Yeah, it almost looks like his son is like possessed the
0: way that his body is kind of contorted. Yeah, he's like bent backwards coming out of a box. And again, the son, the 12 year old has night terrors. So like the, the parents run out there and the kid's screaming and it's a really tense, dark scene in the middle of the hallway. But yeah, so we're meant to question is this kid maybe possessed by something is he just having night terrors. It's going to be a mystery until the end of the movie. What exactly is going on here?
1: Yeah. And you also find out throughout the movie as the parents are talking that he has had night terrors in the past, but they've never been this bad. They got way worse once they moved to this house.
0: Yeah. And in the mom's defense, she has been trying to say, you know, I don't think this is healthy for our kids. You know, it was was fine when you were writing books about terrifying murder cases when we had no kids. Now we have kids. They're starting to learn about what you write about. The kids at school tease them when they move to a new school. So it's all about the ethics here, how much the kids know about this stuff and how much they should know. Which, again, much like the Jaws controversy here in uh, 2005. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess, like, this would be a little bit
1: worse because, you know, I I guess living in the murder house is a little bit worse than just
0: being shown Jaws. Yeah, thank you. At least <laughs> I never did that. I, I, I'm just a simple man doing my best here. <laughs> Okay, so Ellison has watched these first two snuff films. we got the hanging out, the hanging scene, and the uh, <laughs> barbecue where the family is burned alive. Now we get the third one. This one is called Pool Party 66, and I imagine you probably are a fan of this scene.
1: Um, yeah, this one, they're all creepy. All the snuff films are very creepy. This one's creepy, too. It starts with the family just hanging out in their backyard. They have just an in-ground uh, pool in their backyard. It starts with them being filmed, just all hanging out around the pool. And then it cuts to all of them being tied up. And one by one, they are pulled. Well, they're tied up onto pool chairs. And one by one, they're pulled by someone that you can't see into the pool and then backwards. And their feet are kind of sticking out of the pool still. And you can see their
0: feet like struggling. Yeah, this one looks like it was terrifying to film. Like, I don't care who the stuntman is. There are people who are bound to deck chairs, pulled backwards into the water, and they're underwater head down for a good, you know, 30 seconds at least as we're watching them wiggle their feet. I don't care which stuntman it was. That that was, that was would be terrifying to film. Yeah, because how do you know if they're actually drowning or not? Yeah. And I read they, they were very, very scared when they filmed this. They, this was the most dangerous stunt they did. And, uh, yeah, it, 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 it is very evident in the movie. And I believe this is the first uh, film where he sees Ba'gul, right? Yeah, this is the one. So, again, this is the third snuff film we've watched. It's some family in 1966 pulled underwater on deck chairs and drowned. And it's a snuff film, film first person at night, just like every other one. Exceptionally creepy scene. But as Ellison ends up watching the end of the film... He notices that there's a face underwater. And this is a creepy scene where as they're drowning, he sees a face in the water. It's like a a white ghoul. How would you describe this face?
1: <laughs> well, so first of all, I would like to say that some people on Reddit have said that they cannot take Bagul seriously because he looks like a member of Slipknot. <laughs> so if you are a fan of Slipknot, you can probably picture it pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he he sort of has black kind of longish hair and then his face is very I guess gray and he has sort of like a little bit of a pointy nose I think and then his mouth looks like it doesn't look human
0: yeah I I would say he kind of looks like an alien like a a alien wearing all black with an all-white face like almost ghost face from scream a little bit kind of in that realm a little bit yeah Yeah, we don't know who this guy is We'll find out later he is a, <laughs> what, Babylonian deity named Bagul. But for now, he's just this creepy ghost face guy that happens to be in the film.
1: Yeah, uh, for the first part of this film, it's presumed that he's just like a serial killer. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, this, uh, <laughs> it's going to go really dark, really... Uh, okay, I don't even know how to describe it. So he, he sees that face underwater, and he tries to get a closer look. He kind of walks up. But if I recall... Like, the minute he tries to rewind this film, it bursts into flame that the film, bur- it, it starts burning. So, like, all the evidence of Bagul gets deleted. The minute you watch the film, the film self-destructs, basically. Yeah. Okay, I, we got to talk about this. This is not a detail in the movie. Vanessa and I discussed this as we were watching the movie the other day. It's not explained in the movie, but what's kind of going on here is that I believe if you watch these movies... You free the spirit of Bagul that the minute he is shows up on screen, he's allowed to enter your realm through some kind of gate portal. Do you think that's a fair way to describe it?
1: Yeah, I think so. But it's it seems like not quite a plot hole, but it's something that doesn't really make sense because that would mean that each of the previous families that got murdered would have to watch these tapes. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense from Ellison's point of view why he would want to watch them because he's a true crime writer and everything. But I feel like that doesn't, that wouldn't make sense for everyone to actually watch them.
0: Well, you even just said if you moved into a house and there were Super 8 movies, you would probably watch them eventually. So.
1: Yeah, but, yeah, but I'm also a psychopath like Ellison.
0: (laughs) All right. Yeah, I will verify that.
1: Not everyone has like that morbid curiosity. (laughs)
0: Yeah, we'll, we will talk more about the bigger picture of this movie once we get into it later. But yeah, so for now, he, uh, if I recall, he realizes when, like, these films are very delicate and can burst into flame. So he starts digitizing them and putting them on his laptop, right? Yeah. How does he do that? He, like, just films them with his with his phone or something? I kind of forget.
1: I have no idea. I don't even know how the whole Super
0: 8 thing works. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, look who I'm talking to. (laughs) My little Gen Z daughter here doesn't know. Yeah, it's but yeah, in her defense, she's never seen a projector. So I believe he when he plays the projector, he brings a digital camera or digital video camera up and just films the video on this on the films, the film as it's as it's playing. So he has a digital version on his computer as well.
1: Yeah, I just know that at some point they all get uploaded into just, yeah, videos on his
0: laptop. Yeah, so he once it's on his laptop, he can frame step, he can zoom in, he can do all sorts of fun stuff, and there'll be a really fun jump scare with the laptop coming up soon. <laughs> okay, so he has now watched three of these snuff films, and now he realizes he's onto this huge murder case. He thinks there's some serial killer who's killing families, abducting children, He's got evidence, video evidence of three of them now, but now the uh, crap is going to start to hit the fan because now his daughter's paintings start getting creepy, right?
1: Yes. So he discovers that his daughter has begun painting the scene that we saw at the beginning of the family being
0: hung. (laughs) Yeah. That's exactly why you want your seven-year-old painting on the wall four (laughs) people hanging by their neck from a tree as a mysterious serial killer next to the tree watches them suffer. Yeah. And she names him Mr. Boogie. She names him Mr. Boogie. Yeah, that's our killer. And the wife gets really mad at Ellison. She's like, "Look at what our daughter is painting on the wall. She's seven. Like, and I think this is where the daughter for the the wife finds out. Is this a murder house? Did you mur- move us into a murder neighborhood again? And he's like, "Yeah, kind of." So the wife finally. <laughs> kind figured, yeah, kind of. <laughs> and I, I think this is his defense. Nobody died in the house. They died in the yard. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so this movie, actually, it's an hour 40 long, but it moves pretty quickly because we're already on the fourth movie here. Uh, this That night, he kind of locks himself in his office, and the tension in this movie is slowly amping up. We haven't really had a huge jump scare yet or anything super sinister in the name of the movie. But here we go. This is Sleepy Time 98, and this is another really eerie snuff film.
1: And I would also just like to point out that another criticism that people have of this movie that's something that sort of takes them out of it is the fact that all these times that ellison's watching all these snuff films he never turns on the lights anywhere in his house (laughs) he's supposedly so creeped out by everything and he's so tense and on edge and then he's just slinking around the halls in complete
0: darkness (laughs) yeah and i noticed the movie tries to cover that how early in the movie there's a, a power outage in the neighborhood yeah, it's so like, oh, so apparently the power is out in the neighborhood. But I noticed their front porch lights are still working.
1: And he doesn't even, you know, use like a flashlight or anything.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a lot of darkness. This movie will use darkness to great effect as we get going with the snuff films here. But yeah, so explain Sleepy Time to people.
1: So Sleepy Time, it opens with. I think just the family is sleeping, right?
0: Yeah, this one doesn't have a first part, if I recall. This one just has the killers stalking into their bedroom and killing them.
1: Yeah, so you just see sort of each of the individual family members sleeping, the parents and then the siblings, and then they're all murdered with a knife, I think.
0: Yeah, this is the whole family's been tied up, and there's a chihuahua, if I recall, in the movie. And it's all first person. You see it from the killer's point of view, and he has like a little pencil flashlight just a little beam of light as he's creeping around the house sneaks up to the family slits their throats one by one and the chihuahuas barking at him yeah so this is the fourth murder he has uncovered visual evidence of and is this the one i think where he sees the symbol for the first time on the wall
1: yeah i think so
0: okay so kind of describe that to people
1: yeah so the symbol is it clearly looks like some sort of occult symbol it's sort of like I mean, when I first saw it, I thought it was like horns, like sort of bent horns of like a ram or something. Mm -hmm. It's sort of a, um, I guess, sort of a T-shape, but like with each of the ends are curved down.
0: Yeah, it kind of looks like a wreath, but kind of like with horns in it somehow. Yeah. Something like that. It's a symbol, and he's going to notice this later, is in every one of the murders. And, uh, but I think this is the one he actually gets a clue. Like all these videos he's been watching so far, these really creepy snuff films, are just some family that died somewhere. He has no idea. But if this is the one I believe he sees a book at one point on one of the shelves that says St. Louis.
1: Um, yeah, and he sort of figures out the.
0: Wait, is this where he talks to the professor yet? Not quite. We're not quite there. Yeah, this is just he Googles. He goes to his computer. He Googles 1998 uh, St. Louis family slit throats in their beds. And he finds out this was a video of a family named the Millers in St. Louis. And he reads the Google uh, entry that they all died. And hey, guess what? Their son is missing, just like every other murder. Yeah,
1: so more evidence for the pattern. And he's also sort of he's going back in time. Each one of these films, it was it happened longer and longer ago.
0: Yeah, there's, there's a chronology. We're going to go all the way back to the 60s. Which, I think Pool Party, was that the first one? Um, well, the most recent one was The Family Hanging Out. Yeah, but I think that the first one, chronologically, 1966, was The Pool Party. Oh, yeah, I think so. Okay. So, yeah, so he's going to... Get some help researching the St. Louis murder, because he can only do so much on the internet. But there's a long stretch here. This is one of the scarier stretches of the movie, where as he's Googling the St. Louis murder, he hears a loud bang above him. It's a really loud—this is a this is a jump-scary scene coming up here. He starts hearing noises up in his attic, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, he's going to go up there with no flashlight, correct, and no lights?
1: Yeah, of course. <laughs>
0: So yeah, this is one of those long drawn out 10 scenes and it's, you're just waiting for a jump scare. Something's going to come after him at any point And it really doesn't actually hear, although this is where he eventually keeps hearing banging. He goes up in the attic and he finds the box lid with the drawings on it, correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah. He finds the box lid has drawings look like kids drawings of all the murders on the films.
0: Yeah, every one of the murders he's seen in these snuff films is represented on this inside of a box lid in little stick figures, little childlike drawings, and they're very accurate. You see the hanging people, you see the burned alive people, you see the drowned people. And if I recall, in every one of the drawings, there's a mysterious figure off to the side. This is where we see Mr. Boogie again. Mr. Boogie is apparently the person killing all these people, doing all these filmed snuff films, Okay, so now we get to the part of the movie where you start researching all these films. There actually aren't that many snuff films left. I think there's only one more, if I recall, right?
1: I think just the lawn one is left.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, we'll get to the lawn one. (laughs) But this is where, so there's a deputy. The main sheriff in town hates this guy, Ellison, but he's got a deputy who's like a big fan of Ellison's and loves true crime. And so the deputy comes over because Ellison calls him and said, I think someone was in my attic last night. I heard banging. And they start talking. And I think this is where he gets the deputy to start researching stuff for him.
1: Yeah, this deputy is basically the only person willing to help him. And he starts kind of um, putting together the pieces and the connections between all these family murders.
0: Yeah. And he starts laying out this case to this deputy. Yeah, Allison does. And he says, you know, could you research this family in St. Louis, 1998, that was murdered in bed? Oh, and while you're at it, perhaps some family in 1979 that was burned alive in their car. (laughs) (laughs) and the cop's like oh is this a serial case and ellison's like oh no just stuff i'm writing for a book yeah (laughs) and i think this is where ellison watches an interview with of of himself on tv where he's talking about why he writes these books and and he he's like you know i don't i don't do it for the fame i do it for the justice i'm i'm just like everyone on reddit or everyone on youtube i just do it for the to support the creators that that give money to the victims which is not true
1: yeah and then here he is you know like drinking becoming an alcoholic because he's not famous anymore
0: (laughs) yeah okay here comes i know this is probably your favorite jump scare in the movie i don't think this one's especially scary although you said this one really got you this is the laptop one
1: yeah i mean really it's barely a jump scare um there's a slight like musical sting but i think the first time it really got me just because i was so like invested in the movie and i didn't see it coming Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think this is one of the best, just like super creative jump scares.
0: Yeah, this one's good. Okay, I will set you up for this. So now that Ellison has this deputy researching all these snuff murders, he uh, goes in his office one night and he starts looking at all these drawings. He's taken videos of all these drawings of Mr. Boogie that were in the box. He starts going through the Super 8, the, the movies, all the ones he's saved on his laptop. And I think this is where he notices that white faced guy in every single video in one form or another, just hiding somewhere.
1: Yeah. He notices that the same face that was that he first saw under the water in the pool party video is in every single video.
0: Yeah. So he's like, who is this guy? And he pulls up on his screen of zoom in on the white faced guy underneath the water in the pool party. So he zooms in on his laptop and he freezes it there. He freeze frames this uh, image.
1: Well, this uh, freeze frame wasn't from the pool party video. I think it was from, I can't remember which video it was from, but it's like him peeking around a door. It's not the underwater
0: one. Okay, so it's not. It's, it's either the uh, burning alive or the sleepy time.
1: Yeah, it's like the, you only see the guy's face and it looks like he's sort of peeking around like a wall or a door.
0: Okay. So again, the scene is all in the pitch dark and Ellison's office, he's got all his lights off as he always does. He's looking at this image of the white face killer on his laptop. And at that moment, the cop calls the deputy and says, hey, I got some uh, info on that uh, 1979 family burned alive. Yeah, that happened in Sacramento. And turns out the son is missing. And Ellison's like, holy crap. So what is the jump scare that happens as he is talking on the phone to the deputy?
1: So as he's on the phone, he is sort of turned to the side and not looking at his laptop screen. But the audience can still see his laptop screen with the zoomed in pause of the face. And then all of a sudden, the face in the laptop screen moves and looks at Ellison. Ellison doesn't see it. And then the face returns back to its original position. And personally, I that's one of my favorite sort of tropes in horror movies, when something happens in the background that the character doesn't see, but the audience sees. I love that.
0: Yeah, this one is really creative. And it's, that's that face on the laptop. It's very small. It's just kind of blurry. You don't even pay attention to it. And all of a sudden it turns and it kind of looks right at you and right at Ellison and he doesn't see it. It's a really eerie effect. And like you said, there's not, there's maybe a little musical sting, but it's not a big one.
1: Yeah. It's not a huge jump scare, but I think it's definitely unexpected.
0: Yeah. That that's what, so basically this white faced ghoul has somehow been freed from his domain, from his, you know, whatever. He is now in their world. That symbol that he turns and looks at Ellison is kind of the symbol that, Oh, this guy is free. Now watch out. You've let him enter your dimension. And I think if I recall, Ellison's looking through his videos, his other videos that night, and there's a video of him falling through the attic. Right. And it's like, there's ghost hands. He sees in the video, pulling him down.
1: Yeah. They look like little kids hands.
0: <laughs> yeah. So now he's really creeped out and he doesn't really know what's going on. But it's really going to start moving fast in this movie uh, now that uh, Mr. Boogie has kind of been freed into his world. And I think we learned somewhere that the family in St. Louis that was murdered in their sleep used to live in the same house as the family in Sacramento that got burned alive or something like that.
1: Yeah, he starts learning that the families are all sort of connected location wise, like they they had all lived in the previous family's house.
0: Yeah, and that will become very important later, that all these murders are connected in one way, which is very important to the plot, and Ellison is uh, unaware of it at the moment. Yeah. Okay, so basically Mr. Boogie, this serial killer, whatever, that's killing all these people and videotaping, has kind of been freed, and we're about to go through some really hardcore scares right in a row here. (laughs) There's one coming up here. This one, I bet, got people to scream in the theater. This is the one where he holds up the photo to the window?
1: Yeah. Yeah, this is an intense one. So he sort of walks over to the window. I think he thinks he hears noises outside. And he pulls up the blinds of the window, and then he holds, he has a printout of the hanging scene that he's holding out and examining it against the scene outside. And then when he removes the picture from the front of his face, you see the killer's face right in front of the window.
0: Yeah, that is... That one would got popcorn in the theater, people throwing up popcorn in the air. Like <laughs> it's he, He's got a picture of the hanging scene that he's printed out from his photo, from his laptop, and it's got the face of Mr. Boogie in it, right? It's, like, really faint out in the behind a bush. Yeah. Yeah, so he holds up that photo to the window. He's trying to picture what Mr. Boogie looked like out there when they were hanging, and when he lowers the picture, the face is right there.
1: Yeah, this one is it's also, you don't really know that it's coming because there's not really, like the build up to the scene is just kind of silent. There's not like a musical buildup. So it's very unexpected.
0: Yeah, I always say the, the the jump scares that are absolutely the most effective are when there's no music leading up to it. They just happen. Yeah, that's this one.
1: <laughs> yeah, a lot of this movie is actually pretty much silent, which is part of what makes the jump scares effective.
0: Yeah, it's either silent or just the most unnerving, low-vibrating chanting or humming that just gets under your skin. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, he, he screams, and all of a sudden the face isn't there anymore. And I think his now his projector starts turning on and off by itself, and he's like, what the hell is going on? And there's a long scene here where he hears something outside. He goes out to investigate. And I think, if I recall, he sees his son in the bushes again having another night terror And then at one point he stands up and there's like a bunch of dead children behind him. He doesn't see.
1: Yeah. So he. He his wife brings his son in and then he's out there by himself and he notices that there's a dog who looks like he's growling in his direction, but sort of growling at something behind him. And then you see when he stands up that there's a bunch of kids behind him.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's, it's not really a jump scare. It's just there's a, we're going to have a lot of ghost kids popping up behind him because these missing children from these murders are going to become very important to the story very quickly. (laughs) So yeah, this is where the wife really starts laying down the law. Our son is having night terrors. He's out in the bushes. He's like foaming at the mouth. He's screaming. We have to move now. Ellison, this is not healthy. And she's like, you've been drinking more. This case is driving you crazy. So it's, She's kind of laying down the law, and he promises her. He kind of reassures her one more time. No, this book will be worth it. Trust me, I'm onto something big.
1: Yeah, he always just says that once he has his next book that gets him famous and gets him all the money, they can move back to their big house and just be happy.
0: Yeah, and I should point out he's already promised his daughter, Ashley, at the start. She's like, I don't want to move to a new house. And he's like, well, after I write this book... We're going back to our old house again, I promise. And he will make sure they they follow through on that later. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so now I think the cop, the deputy comes around and they start putting all their notes together. This is where they notice the pattern that every single one follows the same pattern, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, this is where they really start to lay out the timeline of all the family murders, too.
0: Yeah, so this goes back to the 60s, back to Pool Party 1966. Every one of these families was filmed, was murdered at night under the darkness. Uh, There was always a child who went missing afterwards. There's always a symbol on the wall. You can always find it in the videos. Anything else? Is there anything else that I'm missing?
1: And the Mr. Boogie's face is always somewhere in the videos.
0: That's right. Mr. Boogie's face. Oh, yeah. And the family has always been drugged at some point. Yeah. That's very important. That'll come into play later. So so like what is this some kind of occult killing? Some kind of ritual like they're like uh, the cops like, "Hey, I got a buddy, he's an occult expert over at the college. We should call him in." Which is very helpful and did now when you were in college did you have an occult expert you could you could talk to?
1: No, but I when I first saw this movie, my thought was, "Okay, how do I get that job as an occult expert?" <laughs> that sounds
0: awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, at my college back at Santa Clara in the 90s, we had no occult experts. So, I, I feel like we kind of got cheated.
1: Yeah, I feel like, too. I, well, I, I should just take that place at my college.
0: There you go. Maybe, maybe if you go to a public school, you, you get the occult expert.
1: Yeah, or maybe, you know, certain states or something. <laughs> yes, it's a,
0: it's a red state, blue state thing. Yeah. <laughs> so,. So they're gonna contact this professor and ask him what all these occult symbols are, what these murders are, what what pattern they're following, what's going on. But before that happens, we have to watch the lawnmower scene. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, I will let you talk about this one. This one routinely shows up on the list of the scariest movie scenes of all time, the biggest jump scares of all time, the scariest movie moment. Anything you want to say, this one's always high on the list. And there's a reason for that. Now, why would that be, Vanessa?
1: Yeah, this one, I will give it props. It is also pretty creative. And also a huge part of this jump scare is the sound. Because leading up to the jump scare is a very, again, I don't really know how to describe it. Sort of like a sort of vibrational humming sound that's very tense, that's in the background when sort of the normal family part of the film is happening, when the kids, the parents are just hanging out. And then you see the killer go to their garage and grab the lawnmower. And then you just see the lawnmower... Moving on the grass, there's, again, a pretty small like, pinpoint of light, so you can basically only see the front of the lawnmower and the grass directly in front of it. And this whole time, it's very tense. The vibration sound is happening. The lawnmower is just moving along the grass for quite a while. And then, boom, all of a sudden, there's a body in front of the lawnmower. (laughs) And right when that happens, there is a huge musical sting.
0: Yeah, I have read stories of people who saw this in the theater and were not ready for that moment. And again, I, I, I cannot overemphasize this. If you want to see maybe the scariest jump scare in movie history, watch the lawnmower going across the lawn in the dark. And all of a sudden there's a head under it just out of nowhere. Yeah. And the noise. I don't even know how to describe that noise. It's the loudest music sting I've possibly ever heard in a movie. And I have read stories of people absolutely just crapping their pants and screaming at this when they weren't ready for it.
1: Yeah, which, again, I feel like I kind of missed out because before I saw this movie, you know, I'm always reading lists on the Internet of, like, top 50, scariest, whatever. And so I had read lots of lists about the scariest jump scares, and I saw that this always came up. So as soon as I could tell, that in the snuff film that there was going to be a lawnmower involved, I knew that this jump scare was coming.
0: Yeah. And I, I've read other people say the same thing, like in other jump scares, like the one with uh, Mr. Boogie's face behind the picture, you don't see it coming. Cause there's no hint. The lawnmower one is especially nasty. Cause you know, something's going to jump out and it still gets you.
1: Yeah. It's like, you know, something's going to happen, but at the same time, it's also kind of unexpected because none of the other snuff films had jump scares leading up to this.
0: Yeah, that's very important to point out. This movie has lured you into a false sense of security because the snuff films are always innocent at the start and then just the family being killed, but it's not especially graphic or jumpy or scary. It's just creepy. So you've been conditioned to think the second part of these snuff films is always going to be benign, and that's how they get you on this one. Yeah. (laughs) And I should point out, we see the lawnmower, we see the head appear right in front of it, and the lawnmower goes over the head. You don't see a bit of blood. It's not gory, actually, in the slightest. You think you see more than you actually do. But it's so loud, and they cut to Ethan Hawke screaming and jumping up. It's so effective just the way they cut it.
1: And I, I feel like it's a little unrealistic that he would have jumped as much as he did just watching it because really the main thing is the noise, and like he wouldn't have heard that noise.
0: <laughs> did you Did you hear how they filmed this movie? I just read this earlier today how okay. no i don't yeah i don't know if you know what i'm talking about ethan hawk had never seen these snuff films prior to them filming the scene oh poor guy so that's his actual reaction to these movies you're seeing his actual reaction <laughs> so when him he actually is jumping that's legit
1: yeah makes sense <laughs>
0: so you see ethan hawk jumping yeah admittedly he wouldn't have seen the he wouldn't have heard the noise but the actor most definitely did so <laughs> that is ethan hawk crapping his pants when he sees something yeah. Although I ha- I have seen a minor nitpick of this scene. If you watch it, it's someone pushing a lawnmower and then it goes over a head, but the lawnmower never goes up. That's true. So it was like the lawnmower levitating or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Just want to throw that out there for people.
1: Also, I just want to point out, it's slightly unrelated, but this just reminds me of the lawnmower scene in Misery.
0: <laughs> You're just talking about the book, not the movie.
1: Yeah, the book.
0: (laughs) Yeah, bro. So most people would know the movie, there's no lawnmower, but what happens in the book Misery with the lawnmower?
1: Yeah, the book, for a lot of Stephen King books, the book is actually far nastier than the movie. And yeah, in the book version of Misery, Annie Wilkes, she runs over, I think it's a cop who comes to try to help, um, I forget the main character's name.
0: Uh, Paul Sheldon.
1: Yeah, a cop comes to her house to try to help Paul Sheldon and she runs him over with a lawnmower and it's very graphic.
0: Yeah, The Misery of the Book is a, it's an exercise in graphicness and that's one of the worst scenes where she runs over someone with a riding lawnmower. Although I was reading on Reddit, there's another scene with a lawnmower death as well that this one gets compared to. Do you know which one they're talking about?
1: Um, I don't think so.
0: Okay, I was hoping you'd know because I don't know any modern movies.
1: <laughs> yeah, not that I can think of.
0: Yeah, there's apparently some other movie with a lawnmower murder. So they're like, yeah, the sinister one wasn't that bad because I saw the other one, too. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, if you want to see a jump scare, watch this one. Just go on YouTube. Even if you know it's coming, it'll get you. Although Vanessa and I were sitting there dissecting it earlier or yesterday. And so I think I'm, I'm pretty desensitized to this one now because I've watched it so many times. But, man, the build up to this one and the music is just it's just terrible.
1: Yeah, and the buildup is so long, too. Like, I don't know how long exactly the lawnmower is just going on the grass Mm -hmm. before this, but it's a long time.
0: Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. You think it happens quicker than it does. Yeah. There's a long buildup of that lawnmower before it runs over the head. (laughs) So anyway, that's lawn work. That is the uh, scientifically maybe proven the scariest scene of all time. (laughs) I don't know.
1: Yeah. And it's just also that sound. This, the sound in this scene is not as creepy as the one in the family barbecue scene, but it's also just like the type of sound that just makes you uneasy
0: and tense. Yeah, I can't even describe what it is. It's just like, a... God, it's like some metal scraping against metal, but it's really loud and there's music underneath it all at once. It's, it's, it's nasty. It's not fair. Hey there, this is Mario, uh, just inserting a little part into the episode. I thought out of the goodness of my heart, you may want to hear the exact sound in the lawnmower jump scare. So I'm going to insert it right now. You can hear the exact scene, what it sounds like with the humming, and then the loud noise when it goes over the head. I'm going to put it fairly low in volume so it won't blow out your speakers, but uh, just get ready for it. It's going to come in a second. Enjoy. Okay, and I'll also point out, that's the last snuff film we're going to see in the movie, at least the last pre-recorded one. <laughs> and now, now we get the professor. So let's talk about the professor here.
1: Yeah, he's just an occult professor. He just knows everything about sort of occult rituals and symbols and, like, history of occult deities.
0: <laughs> and he explains who this um, Mr. Boogie is, this mysterious white-faced figure. Who, who does he say he is?
1: Yeah, he is Bagul, I think it's pronounced. And he's an ancient Babylonian sort of deity.
0: Yeah, and I actually thought this was based on a real deity, but it's not. That's just one they made up for the movie, so I was I was incorrect. But it's, yeah, it's just this Babylonian deity. Uh, he uh, is known as the Eater of Children. That's Bagul. He's been worshipped back to Babylonian times, and he's got the symbol. That's the symbol you keep seeing on the wall. And so the professor's like, you know, in all these myths, this goes way back into ancient times. That he eats children; he needs the souls of these children, the human children, to survive. So what he does is he tricks them into the netherworld. He traps them, and uh, he's like, "What kind of case? Or what kind of book are you writing, Mr. Ellison?" He's like, "He's <laughs> like, are these copycats? Like what?" Because he, I guess, at this point, they think there's someone imitating Bagul based on the old myth.
1: Yeah, they think that it's still just one guy, one serial killer. So they think that he has to be like 70 years old right now because it goes all the way back to the 60s.
0: Yeah, this guy is a 70-year-old serial killer. is not quite that scary. So Ellison's not that quite that, that frightened. <laughs> okay, so from this point on, like I said, there's no more snuff films. So the entire rest of the movie is basically Bagul haunting the house of Ellison's family just all sorts of bumps and jarring noises and projectors turning on. And yeah. And the scariest part of all this is he just hearing all these noises, walking through this house, walking through his house at night, trying to figure out where all these bumps are coming from. And every time he turns around, there's a dead kid behind him. There's one girl in a rain slicker. At one point he hears a noise. He goes into his daughter's room, Ashley's room. And he sees Ashley. He just sees Ashley by herself. He doesn't see that Ashley's speaking to one of the dead kids.
1: Yeah, and then we, the audience sees, as he's kind of turning away, that there is the girl who is missing from the most recent murder, which was the hanging one, is in the corner of Ashley's room, and it's like it looks like they're talking to each other.
0: Yeah, and if I believe Ashley's drawing is no longer a hanging, now it's got a really detailed face of Bagul on the wall.
1: Yeah, and she is still calling him Mr. Boogie. That's right,
0: and little Stephanie Stevenson is, she's she's gesturing to Ashley. What is she gesturing?
1: She's making the sh with kind of putting her finger over her mouth.
0: Yep, yeah. This is uh this is very important. The the little dead kids can speak to the live kid and they're shushing her. And that's very important later to the movie. Okay, I want to talk about one thing. Um I was reading in the trivia of this movie, the original concept of Bagul. Well, the the professor talks about it. He says Bagul is this you know, bewitching enchanter who lures children to the afterworld so he can eat their soul. Did you read about that? How they had to change that? Not really. They originally wanted him to look like Willy Wonka. (laughs) Seriously, I'm not making that up. Because they thought he would entice children to the underworld. And they started the movie that way and they're like, this is too goofy. We can't do that. So they dropped it. So it's kind of a hanging plot hole that he enchants children.
1: (laughs) I mean, Willy Wonka is a little creepy if you think about it.
0: Yeah, and to be fair, it was the Johnny Depp Willy Wonka. That's the, that's the image they had of him. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now we're in the final stretch of the movie here. This is where the cop comes over, the deputy. He explains how all these murders are linked. Is this where we learn that every murder victim lived in the house of the one before him? That that follows the pattern?
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: Okay. And this is, I think, where Ashley, <laughs> the dead girl that Ashley was talking to the night before, Ashley is now drawing a picture of her hanging on, on the tire swing. And this is where the wife freaks out. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, she's been freaking out this whole time.
0: <laughs> now she finally freaks out because now she's figured out they're leaving they're living in the Stevenson house. She's like, uh, uh, Ellison, our daughter drew a picture of a dead girl hanging on a tree and says that's the Stevenson girl who used to live here. Is this the Stevenson house so the mom is finally caught up? Yeah. <laughs> Although we still have one more scare, basically Bagul has to scare them out of the house for this movie to get going.
1: Yeah. This is the attic one, right?
0: Yeah, this is the attic one. This is, uh... (laughs) basically, I'll spoil it a little bit for people. Every family that is in a house sees these movies, and once they watch the movies, Bagul is lured into their world, and then when they leave the house and go to the next house, they're killed, and then the movies are left in the next house. So for Bagul's plan to work for this family to die, they have to leave the house, and Ellison's going to walk right into that trap.
1: Yeah, is basically just trying to scare him enough that he finally snaps and decides to leave.
0: Yeah, so this is the attic scene and I will leave this one to you. This one's got a couple jump scares.
1: Yeah, so again, he hears noises in the attic. It's complete darkness. He goes up there to investigate. And he's sort of he's not fully in the attic. He climbs up the ladder and he's sort of just hanging on to like the top step of the ladder. And then the first part is he sees the ghost kids sort of all making that sh- expression.
0: Well, yeah, if I recall, he, he's walking through the house. He hears bumps one night. He sees the ladder to the attic is down. It's been lowered, and it shouldn't be down. Mm-hmm. He climbs up, and he sees that his projector is up there. His projector has been turned on, and it's, it's a really creepy scene. It's all the ghost kids, these five dead kids from the previous murders, watching all the snuff films. And he's like, what the hell is this? And then here comes one of the great jump scares in the movie. This one is pretty nasty.
1: Yeah. So the reason this one is so intense is because the snuff film is playing in the background, sort of above the kids' heads. So your eyes are kind of naturally drawn to the top of the screen watching the film. And then that's where uh, Bagul's face comes down from.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that one... No matter how many times you're ready for this one, this one will get you, that the dead kids are watching a snuff film. I think they're watching Sleepy Time. They all turn to say shh to Ellison. In the movie, you see Begool kind of fade in from the background like Michael Myers. You see him there. And then all of a sudden, he disappears from the projector, and he literally appears right in front of Ellison's face, literally right in front of the camera. Yeah. (laughs) And then we get your favorite moment where Ellison screams and falls down and hits his chin, right?
1: Yeah, I think this part's kind of funny because he sort of falls down the ladder and like on the way down, he bumps his head a few times on the ladder steps.
0: Yeah, I don't know if that was actually Ethan Hawke or a stunt double, but whoever that was nails their chin on a ladder as they're falling. It looks like it really hurt. (laughs) So this is the first time he has actually seen evidence. We've seen all these ghost kids appearing in the house. We've seen Bagul. We've seen all these, you know, bumps and noises and jump scares. This is the first time he's seen the dead ghost kids. He's seen Bagul. He's like, hell no, we're out of this house right now. So he's going to walk right into Bagul's trap by leaving the house. So he just packs up at night, right? And they all just leave in the middle of the night.
1: Well, first he gathers up all um, the films and burns them.
0: And the projector.
1: Yeah, and the projector. And also another mention of the music in this movie. This one is actually like a song. Um, the song, it's called Gyroscope by Boards of Canada in this scene. And it's also just kind of like a very tense, unsettling, like a little bit sort of psychedelic song. That's very creepy.
0: Yeah, I was reading about all the songs they used in this movie. There's like death metal songs and there's a like a Swedish group or something.
1: I think that's Boards of Canada.
0: Okay, yeah, I know people who know music better than me said, oh, there's some really cool artists in this movie. And this is where you hear some of their stuff. Okay, yeah, so they basically get the hell out of town. They drive back to their old house, just like he promised his daughter. We'll eventually go back to our old house again. And I think this is a, you get the fake happy ending. Okay, we escaped the haunted house. We got away from Bagul. And uh, I think this is where the professor calls him with his latest findings.
1: Yeah, and also sort of leading up to the big reveal from the cop that he fell into the trap, the you can see that the cop has been trying to call him this whole time, but Ellison keeps not answering the phone.
0: Yeah, this is okay. So the professor calls and said, You know, I've been researching this bagul case, and he's like, you know, early Christians believe that if you saw these images, if you saw the face of Bagul, if you saw the symbol, you invited him into your life. And he's like, you didn't see any of these symbols in real life, did you? And he's seen Bagul. He's seen the symbol. And Ellison kind of lies like, oh, and I didn't I didn't do that. And and uh, (laughs) and the professor says, you know, Bagul can often take the form of what a snake, a scorpion and a dog, if I recall, which those are the three forms he saw earlier in the movie. Yeah, it's a callback
1: to the scorpion is the first thing that he saw in the attic when he discovered the tapes. And then the dog was outside that was growling at the kids behind him. And I forget when he saw the snake.
0: The snake was under the box, the box lid, I think, if I recall.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So Ellison has seen all these symbols and the professor's like, you didn't see these, did you? And he's like, your kid didn't see them either. Because children are especially vulnerable if they see these symbols. But the legend has it, he gets invited into your life. And, and Ellison's like, oh, no, don't worry. I never saw any of them. And he's like, what if I burn all the film? Is that cool? And the professor's like, well, I don't know. Like, it's just a myth. So, okay. So here we go. So they're back in their house. This is the end of the movie that, uh, this is where Ellison goes up in his attic, like the first day. And what does he see up in the attic?
1: He sees this, what looks like the exact same box of films that he thought he burned and left at the old house.
0: Yeah, this is, this is a nasty ending here. So we're back in his old house. He goes upstairs. He sees the box that he theoretically just burned at the old house, right? He burned all his stuff, but it's back.
1: Yeah, and it looks exactly the same and the same projector and everything.
0: That's right. Although there's a little extra envelope in this one, isn't there?
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so in this envelope, it says extended cut endings, and there's a bunch of smaller uh, films in that one that presumably belong to all the films that he already saw.
0: Yeah, see, this is real nice of Bagul. He has left a bunch of uh, extended director cut footage for Ellison. So now he can watch all the snuff movies again and see the actual ending that he wasn't allowed to see before.
1: Yeah, and all for free. He didn't even have to pay.
0: <laughs> exactly. It's like he was a pirate. He pirated it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so Ellison knows he should probably not watch these extended cut endings. And of course, we know he's going to. But this is, it's going to happen real fast, the ending here. The deputy, this is where you said the deputy calls him and informs him of the pattern. Explain what the deputy tells him.
1: The deputy tells him he's been trying to reach him, trying to call him all day ever since they left. And Ellison has just been declining the phone calls. But he finally picks up. And the deputy explains to him that Ellison has actually just put his family into the timeline. Because Bagul would only murder the family after they had moved from the house where the previous murders happened
0: yep so that is the plot of the movie that uh Begool leaves these movies in a house if you go and you watch the movies you'll be horrified and you will see these past murders but by watching the movies you invite him into your world and then the minute you leave the house he kills you and you become the next one in the victim in the pattern So that's what the cop is telling him. You just sped up the timeline. You move. You're supposed to stay in that house for like 10 years. And then he kills you when you move. You sped it up. You put your family in danger, Ellison. And Ellison is horrified.
1: Yeah. But he's also, I think, a little bit in denial.
0: (laughs) He is. He doesn't quite believe it yet because he still hasn't quite put two and two together. What's about to happen? But he's going to figure it out real quick when he watches these extended cut endings.
1: Yeah, so in the extended cut endings, all the whole movie up until this point, it is assumed that the kids that are missing are just missing and they were taken by the killer. But you see in the extended cut endings of all the films, the kids are actually the ones doing the murdering and at the end of every film, they walk in front of the camera with their weapon and make the sh into the camera.
0: Yeah, I know some people don't like this ending. I happen to love this ending. I think it's really well done. I think it ties it up nicely. What do you think of this one?
1: Yeah, I will say that the first time I watched it, I thought it kind of, like, went off the rails a little bit because the whole time at the beginning, you think that it's just a creepy serial killer, and then all of a sudden it turns kind of paranormal. And the first time I watched the movie, I didn't really like that, but the more times I watched it, I actually like it more now. I think it works.
0: Yeah, and I know your mom, Diana, doesn't... uh she often doesn't like movies when they turn paranormal for no reason. Yeah. So she would agree with you that this is a creepier movie without the paranormal, but I happen to like it just because I like the idea of kids killing their parents. Yeah. Which I know is a terrible thing to be telling my own child, please don't kill me.
1: (laughs) Well, and I don't think that it was for no reason. Like I think once you go back and watch it, like they set it up well.
0: Yeah, I agree. Okay. So to put this in perspective for people who maybe have not seen this movie, yeah, we watch the snuff films, every one of them all over again. And in every case, you see that the killer is actually the child. The missing child in every case is the one who killed their parents. We see a little kid pulling, you know, the parents into the pool. We see a child cutting down a branch and ends up hanging their parents. And again, it's done in a realistic way. A kid could do this the way it's set up. Even the lawnmower could be pushed by a child.
1: Yeah. And it's also... Like, I don't think it really comes out of nowhere that it's paranormal. Like, the audience just kind of thinks that it's a serial killer because that's what Ellison mm-hmm. thinks. But then once you go back and watch the clues, like, from the beginning, I think it makes sense.
0: Yeah, so technically, Bagul never kills anybody personally. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, that's the key there, that he enlists these children. He gets Once he gets invited into a world, he inhabits or possesses or enchants your youngest child, and your youngest child will somehow drug you and tie you up and kill you in horrible ways and film it. And then once that's done, Bagul, like, invites them into his dimension and he feasts on their soul forever. Yeah, so it's, hap- it's a happy story. <laughs> For the kids, I guess. So, if you're putting two two together in your head and you're thinking, oh, the youngest child usually kills the family. Well, that's what's about to happen in the, one of the more horrifying endings you're ever going to see in a movie.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, not really a surprise, I don't think, but it's Ashley, the one who's been drawing Mr. Boogie on
0: all the walls. (laughs) Oh, yeah. She is going to be our killer here.
1: Yeah, so Ellison, he, I think he kind of starts feeling, like, lightheaded, and then he notices, he looks into his coffee cup, and he notices that there's a sort of green something in there that he's been drugged.
0: Yeah, it turns out his little evil daughter has drugged him, just following the pattern of every one of these other movies, and you're as you can guess, Ellison's family is about to be the next snuff film. And he's like, what happened? And, and he's getting all woozy and he's passing out. And what is what is actually all of a sudden is right there in the room. And she's like, good night, daddy. She, yeah, I think she writes
1: good night, daddy on like
0: a note next to the coffee. Oh, that's right. Yeah, she writes it on the note. And then as he's passing out, she says, I like that you made the movies longer. They're better this way. And then she
1: says, don't worry, daddy, I'll make you famous again.
0: <laughs> yes. As she is holding something, what is she holding as she says that? An axe. An axe. So little Ashley, the little seven-year-old Ashley is going to be an axe murderer. And that is going to be our final film, which, uh, what's the name of this final film going to be?
1: Um, house painting, because she, after she kills them all, she smears the blood on all the walls.
0: Yeah, this is a movie, this is an ending to remember, where you don't see it. Again, it's nowhere near as graphic as, you, as it could be, where little Ashley hacks up her father with an axe, theoretically hacks up her mother with an axe, theoretically hacks up her brother with an axe, uh, spreads their blood, paints all over the wall, because she's a painter, now she paints their blood all over the walls, draws symbols, and she also adds her little drawing to the box lid, right? With Mr. Boogie, and then she shushes us.
1: Yeah, and then Mr. Boogie, Begul, comes and sort of picks her up and takes her away to where all the other ghost kids are.
0: Yeah, that is a... It's a horrifying ending, and I know some people don't like it. It's it's such an evil ending, a sinister ending, if you will, that I have to appreciate it. But yeah, Begul enlists Ashley to kill her family and videotape it. So now this is the latest video. This is House Painting 12. It will be stored up in the attic for the next owners. He picks up Ashley, carries her off. I think they, what, they jump, they somehow materialize in the projector? Yeah, I think so. In the projector, and they go into the film, and they just walk off into the netherworld together. And that's the end of the movie, right? There's no cheap jump scare at the end or anything.
1: (laughs) And then comes the stupidest jump scare ever in any movie. (laughs)
0: yeah we both we both have talked about this i've seen other people talk about this when i said i was doing sinister one person on my facebook page said i hate that jump scare at the end yeah this is okay so the end of the movie is ashley has killed them it's horrible she's painted the walls they all die and we just end on a shot on the box in the attic with all the films and all the canisters and the projector just sitting there waiting for the next donors
1: And with the new one added, the house painting one.
0: House painting 12, yeah, has been added. And the camera just slowly pans out and pans away from the box. And what the hell happens at that point?
1: (laughs) And then Bagul's face just pops right in front of the camera.
0: Yeah, this is the cheapest jump scare in the history of cheap jump scares. There's no reason for it. It's just Bagul's face just jumps in front of the camera as it goes to the credits.
1: Yeah, and I hate it because it's like an unnecessary fourth wall break, and I hate that.
0: Yeah, and I was reading in the, in the director's defense, he didn't want to do that. He just wanted to end with a shot of the uh, the canisters of film, but the studio mandated it. They're like, we need one big jump at the end, and they made him do that. Yeah, so I guess it's not his fault. Exactly. So I can't hate the movie too much, but that is a stupid jump scare put in by stupid people, and it's so cheap. I just hate stuff like that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, just to torture the audience.
0: And I think I read in uh, Sinister 2, they do the exact same thing at the end, right?
1: Oh, I actually don't remember. Yeah, I I have seen Sinister 2, but I can't remember if I'm, I mean, I'm sure there was, but I don't remember what it was.
0: Okay. And really with that, that is Sinister, which is one of the most unnerving, creepiest movies of all time. I'm not entirely sure I would agree with the uh, assertion that's the scariest movie of all time. Would you?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I... I mean, it, that's just, like, so subjective. I don't think there could just be one, because it's, like, it's different for everyone.
0: Yeah, and then again, I didn't see Sinister in the theater, so possibly. Like, I always say the uh, the most uncomfortable I've ever been in a theater was uh, the Blair Witch Project. Yeah. But I never saw Sinister in the theater. That, I mean, I could literally have crapped my pants. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I... Like, when I watched it with my friend, it was, like, we were just alone in the apartment, and it was late at night, and, like, all the lights were off and everything, and I think that was a big part of my experience, too, like, just having that atmosphere. So I can see how being in the theater would also make it, like, a lot scarier.
0: Yeah, and but at the end of the day, it has some elements that I think are among the creepiest things in movies. Little creepy kids who kill people, mm-hmm. which is always a favorite of mine. Snuff films. <laughs> I, I did a vacancy episode on Staff Picks right before this one, so Lord knows I'm a fan of snuff films. <laughs> like, what else is especially creepy about this movie? Which elements?
1: Yeah, for me, it's definitely the snuff films the most. I, I think the best way to describe, like, how they feel is just, like, gritty. It feels so real. And it feels like something... I mean, I know a lot of people... I personally am not that much of a psychopath that I would, like, watch... Like live leak death footage online, but I know a lot of people from my generation like kind of grew up in the time where like kids were doing that, and it feels like something you would see like on live leak or something. Like it just feels too real, like something you shouldn't be watching.
0: I will tell you, you may or may not know about this. Have you ever heard of uh, the film series called Faces of Death?
1: Yes, I have. I have not like I haven't like seen any of it, but yeah, I've heard of it.
0: When I was a kid, that was known as the end-all, be-all of all horror movies. Like, those were the ones you couldn't find in a video store unless they had, like, X-rated movies. But every so often, you'd see it in a video store. This is, like, before Blockbuster when they just had, like, non-chain video stores. And every kid knew that was the creepiest movie out there because that was actual death footage. Yeah. So I've seen Faces of Death, and it's, uh, like, a lot of the stuff on Faces of Death is fake. But there is also real stuff on there, like plane crash victims and plane stuff like that afterwards. It sucks. I mean, (laughs) you don't want to watch that if you don't have to. Faces of Death lives up to its reputation.
1: Yeah, yeah. And once, you know, the internet sort of became widespread and everything, there, like, in the 2000s and stuff, there was no, like, rules. Like, the internet was just anyone could post whatever. So, like people would just post like these videos of real death footage on sites like LiveLeak. And I know a lot of people like my age would have seen those like at that time, just out of curiosity.
0: Now, you said you've never watched those. No, I haven't. I I know enough about you. You have to have stumbled onto at least one at one point, right? Because I know you're curious. No,
1: I, so what I have heard is I've, like I've listened to people like talk about them and like explain what happened and stuff like people who have seen them but I actually have never stumbled cuz I'm I'm actually very careful about that cuz I know that like my limit is like real stuff and so even when like back in March of this year when there's the footage of the the kid that fell from the drop tower oh yeah in Orlando that footage was like circulating and I like, even when stuff like that has been circulating widely, like I always manage to avoid it because I'm just like, I'm very careful about that. Like real stuff I will not watch, but I have heard people talk about it. Wow.
0: I, I, am very proud of you because I know enough about you to assume you would have stumbled onto those. Your curiosity would have got the better of you. So the fact that you didn't shows that your mother has raised you correctly somehow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I know my limit. That's my limit. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I will flat out admit I've watched a lot of that stuff. I, I can't resist at a certain point. There's some I won't watch. There's one, the guy the the suicide video where the guy shoots his head off on live live stream. Oh, the Bud Dwyer one. I think I've heard it. Well, not that one. There was yeah, there's just one recently, like last year, a guy with a shotgun. And I I wouldn't watch that one. I will not do guns to the head. But I've seen I've seen other stuff I will be not that I'm embarrassed to admit, I'm just more curious than you, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess my curiosity is just satisfied by just, like, yeah, because there's lots of YouTubers that have seen all this stuff, and then they just, like, talk about it. And to me, that's, like, okay, like, I get the gist.
0: Yeah, it's it's not necessary. And I know LiveLeak, like, some of those sites have been shut down. It's not as easy to find this stuff as it used to be.
1: Yeah, but I know there's so many kids, like, my age and, like, a little older that were just, like, traumatized by that kind of stuff. Like, back in the day when you could literally, like, post anything or find anything on the internet.
0: Yeah. Okay, so I'm glad we're ending on a happy note with actual gore footage. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, yeah, that's Sinister. It's a nice, creepy movie. Scientifically, again, been proven the scariest movie of all time. I don't know if it's the scariest movie of all time, but... I have a hard time believing people would not find it scary.
1: Yeah, because I think it's a mix of a lot of different types of creepy elements. Like, it has the jump scares, but then it's also, like, pretty psychological at points. And it has just, like, a really good scary atmosphere. And, like, it has the sound and everything.
0: Yeah, I'm very glad you mentioned the sound. The sound and the music in this movie is top-notch. So... You know, lest this movie just gets, you know, summarized lazily as just a jump scare fest. It's actually not. And I, I'm surprised that I'm the one who's defending that because a lot of people I know are <laughs> expecting me to come on here and just bash Sinister for being cheap jump scares. And it's, it's actually not as many as you think it is.
1: Yeah, and for me, because the movie uses a lot of tropes that I usually don't like, like the serial killer suddenly turning paranormal thing or like the creepy kid thing. I actually usually don't
0: really like that trope. But somehow in this movie, it works. All right. Well, once again, I want to thank you for your recommendation to me and mom to watch this again. She has about a 50% success ratio, which in all fairness, I have about the same with her. She likes some movies I recommend. You hate Halloween, right?
1: Yeah, I just hate slashers in general.
0: I mean, I in general, I don't like slashers. And we've talked about this before. I don't think Halloween is a slasher, but this is a, for a whole different podcast. Yeah. And to be fair, yeah. So you recommended Sinister to us. We liked it a lot. You've also recommended stuff like The Witch, which we don't like. But again, we really appreciate that you you went out on a limb and watched this in the dark one night with your roommate and said, you know what, mom and dad, you need to experience that lawnmower scene. So here you go.
1: (laughs) Well, also, I recommended As Above So Below to you guys, which I'm very proud of.
0: Yeah, if you guys haven't uh, listened to Vanessa's episodes before, she did The Wicker Man with me, which is probably my all-time favorite horror movie, that or Halloween, and then she did As Above, So Below, which is a really cerebral, underrated movie, so you guys should listen to that episode. That was a good episode.
1: That one can be sort of confusing at first, but I think once you, like, sort of read more about it and learn more about it, it's um, it's really well done, all the mythology and everything.
0: And for your next appearance, I guess we're going to do Midsummer at some point?
1: Yeah, probably.
0: Okay, unless you want to do Hereditary.
1: <laughs> no way. <laughs> that doesn't need any more defending.
0: Okay, so uh, we'll keep this really quick. It's widely considered out in the world among Ari Aster fans that Hereditary is the better of the two movies. Why do you like Midsummer more? I'm just curious. Short answer.
1: Um, I think it's generally just kind of more unique. Like, I know it's similar to the Wicker Man in a lot of ways, but it takes place during the daytime. It's like a unique setting. Um, it's just, and also I'm like a sucker for anything having to do with cults and there's a cult in Midsummer. I just, um, I think all the psychedelics involved and sort of those effects is really cool. And I think just like all the mythology building that went into it was really cool, Um I mean, I also like hereditary, but it's just to me, Midsummer is like obviously way better.
0: Yeah. So, what you're saying is that there's room in the world for both hereditary and Midsummer fans, but hereditary fans can go to hell. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Okay. So just making sure I got that correct. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, next time Vanessa will be back after she's married and goes on her honeymoon and moves and goes to grad school, we'll be back at some point in the future to talk about Midsummer because we have not talked about that sex scene enough yet.
1: Well, or. We could skip over that part.
0: We could just yada yada over the (laughs) 12-minute full penetration sex scene that's incredibly uncomfortable.
1: Well, and it sucks because it's right at the end, too. So it's like right during when everything, all the chaos happens.
0: Okay, no spoilers. I don't want to spoil it for all our future listeners. (laughs) Okay, anything else you want to say about horror movies or sinister or ways that I traumatized you as a child before you sign off?
1: Um... I think we covered it all.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think we did. We've gone through our therapy session and you were able to get your grievances out in the world. And And your plan to kill me with jump scares and have a heart attack so you inherit the insurance money did not work. So nice try.
1: Yeah, well, I guess I was kind of stupid with this one because there was way more jump scary movies I could have picked.
0: Yeah, I don't like A Quiet Place. A Quiet Place is too much for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. And once again, everybody, thank you for listening. This is Staff Picks. My name is Mario Lanza. If you need to reach me, you can reach me at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. And until next time, I'll be out there searching for more horror movies that deserve more love. And I sure as hell won't be laying under a lawnmower as I'm doing it. (laughs) I'll talk to you guys later. Thanks for listening. Bye.